You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Let's just take a pause. Let's be silent before God. And let's again lift up this conflict in Ukraine and ask that God would stop a madman. Let's pray. Father God, as your people around the world, and including both nations that are in conflict, believers in Russia, believers in the Ukraine, believers in the surrounding nations taking in over 3 million refugees and more to come, I know you're hearing our prayers, and the, the, the slowness of your response is almost relates to where we're going to go in today's message We're not you. You are sovereign, and we trust you. And yet, you give us the permission to plead with you. And we plead with you. Stop this madman and his cronies. Do something to end the madness and the carnage. And God, we just ask that your amazing way of being redemptive and good, even in war, that you will do that, but at the same time, you will bring this thing to an end as quickly as possible. Help us to be mindful every time we think of it, to lift up a prayer that the end of this war will happen soon. And God, as we pivot from that, we just ask this morning that as we get into your word and we see your tenderness towards this prophet, that we can ourselves almost live in the story ourselves, because what he's experiencing is what all of us are experiencing. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. I want to read to you some thoughts from letters, personal letters. It was written, these letters were written to a very, very close friend by a believer, a a Christian person wrote wrote these letters. Um, The first one I want to read to you is this one. It says this, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see, listen, and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but does not speak. At another time, this very same follower of Jesus wrote another letter. And in this letter said this, so many unanswered questions live within me afraid to uncover them. I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great, nothing touches my soul. Did I make a mistake in surrendering, surrendering blindly to the call of Jesus? Now, I, I read these letters to you because I think you, suddenly you hear these words and your imagination starts to fill in, who is this person? Like, what's going on with them? What kind of person do you imagine maybe wrote these words? Like, for instance, maybe your imagination goes to this is a person, a believer who struggled through most of their spiritual walk with addiction. Maybe they were struggling with addiction. Or maybe this is a person who um, 
ended up living on the streets and, 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 and lived a very, very marginalized life. Or a person who grew up in, on the earliest years of their life, they experienced a lot of trauma, maybe family dysfunction, leading them into poor decisions in their life, followed by one defeat after another. And so they were in a really place that was difficult in their life, and so they wrote these words. Or, or maybe you kind of can think about, well, what, what would I imagine this believer's faith to kind of look like? Maybe it's hard to believe a person who was an actual believer would write this at all. Maybe for you that's hard. Uh, maybe you imagine a person of really, really weak faith. You know, that kind of believer who, you know, maybe went to a Billy Graham crusade long ago and they came forward when they sang Just As I Am 50 times and, and then they, they said yes to Jesus and then, then there was nothing after that and that, that's, that's who this person is. Or, or maybe, um, I don't know, you fill it in. Would you be surprised if I told you that these letters, they came from a saint of the Catholic Church? A saint of the Catholic Church from preserved personal letters that she did not want to ever see the light of day and certainly didn't want them to be published, but were published after her death in the book called Come by My Light. These are the words of none other than Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa wrote these words. During dark nights of her own soul, times when life piled on, and God fell silent, and he felt really distant. And where I'm going with that is that all of us, and now you can see in living color, including saints, recognized church saints, all of us arrive at moments when we think, here's her words, to think, I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness, it's so great, nothing's touching my soul. I know a lot of you are there. I have experienced a lot of that in recent days and years. In his book written, I don't know, I'm not even sure, a couple decades ago, maybe a decade ago, uh, a Christian author, Philip Yancey, he wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And it came after having written a number of books about the wonderful explorations of suffering and God and that, the questions that arise when, with God and suffering. And so he wrote this book called Disappointment with God. And in it, he tried to summarize the main three questions that as an author he would get from letters and emails and things like that. And th these were these questions that he said, believers ask these. This is what they ask when God doesn't do what we expect he should be doing or we would want him to do. And here's the questions. The first question is, is God unfair? Because it can be really easy to confuse God with life and think that the fact that life is piling on is the exact same thing as God's also piling on. It's easy to confuse those, those things. And so we can end up when we're frayed and spent in a place where God starts to feel like an adversary more than an ally. So that's a common question. I've asked it. Is God unfair? The other question that he talks about in the book, Disappointed with God, is, is the question of, is, is God silent? Is God silent? When we're frayed, and almost all of us are in that place to some degree or other, it can be really easy to think that the God who hasn't answered our cry in the way <laughs> that we would prefer, uh, in, in the way we prefer, in the time we prefer, that 
he's simply not going to reply at all. He's just not going to reply. And it's an easy thing to feel. I have felt it. The third question that he explores in the book is, is God hidden? That when we're spent and we're frayed, when we become unraveled, it can be really easy to think that God, God's not working in the world anymore. He's just not doing it anymore. And if, or at least, if he's choosing to answer other people's prayers, he doesn't seem to have any interest in showing up for you and answering your prayers. And there's that feeling. And as I was looking at those questions this week and kind of thinking about what Yancey wrote years ago in, in that book, there's sort of this common thread feeling throughout it. These are my own words, not his. But I think this is the feeling. It's, it's, it feels like God isn't engaged with me anymore. At the moment, I'm most depleted and most need him to show up in a big way. It just feels like God's not engaged anymore. And that is exactly what we feel when we're afraid, when we're spent, and God has fallen silent and he feels so distant. But the question I want to explore this morning, is that what's actually happening? That's what we want to take a minute to explore. So uh, we're continuing our study. I can't even. Because that's what you say when you're in a place when you can't even. You just, there's nothing left in the tank. God's not moving at the pace that he, you need him to move. And you go, I, I, I got nothing. And so what we're doing is we're exploring how God tenderly, so tenderly, met a burned out human being, happens to be a prophet, named Elijah, to meet him and love him and renew him. Because I hope you see in the story some of how God can interact with you just as tenderly. So make sure you're ready to dive into 1 Kings 19, verse 1. And like I said, um, in one sense, what I'm going to say is the gospel. And that is, our God is so tender to this unraveled, dispirited human being, this prophet. And there's some of the gospel in what I just said there. That's who our God is. He's tender. To when we're, we got nothing and we're afraid. But let's do a quick review of our story. If you were with us last week or you tuned in later because we pushed up the sermon later in the day because uh, we're not live streaming anymore, um, you remember that last week we talked about in 1 Kings chapter 18 that uh, there was this great victory that Elijah had against the prophets and the priests of Baal and Asherah. One, one prophet against 450. And this great victory over great evil on Mount Carmel, which was Baal's territory, his home turf. And immediately following this super highlight moment of his Hall of Fame career, I mean, like we talked about last week, Elijah and Moses are the two superstar rock stars of the Old Testament for the Jewish people. Right after that great highest victory of the Old Testament, I mean, if there had been a poster of, of Elijah over the, every young Jewish boy's bed, it, it had to have been like a super freeze frame, like, you know, Michael Jordan doing the slam. It would have been the, the, the fire from heaven falling with Elijah going like that or something, you know? That was First Kings chapter 18, like this highlight moment. And then last week we read this. This is what happens next in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. 
And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. My translation, kill me now. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. And if you remember last week, we explored the fact that even, and I hope this was an encouragement to you, that even great heroes of the faith completely unravel. And so there's a normalizing element for all of us in seeing a great hero of the faith unravel and end up frustrated by their situation and end up feeling disappointed and end up feeling abandoned by God. So if you're in that place and if you've been in that place or you're about to be in that place, take heart. It happened to Elijah. But then we read this. This is our text for this morning. The middle of verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Man, as much as it felt like God had completely abandoned him, we see God hadn't completely abandoned him. But interestingly, God's next act of grace was fairly unspectacular. It wasn't like a big pillar of fire coming down and consuming the altar and the wood and the carcass of the cow. It it was pretty unspectacular. We see in it, God sends a messenger. Now, I will give you, it's an angel. I get that. But it's probably one of the most unspectacular showings of an angel in scripture. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't even cowering in fear seeing the angel. A lot of times people see the angel and they cower in fear. It was just this very humble moment. I almost even wonder, because the text doesn't tell us, did he only realize later that this was an angel? Which, that can happen. But an angel shows up, um, but let's also note this. Often God's messengers are not angelic, they're just people. He sends a messenger. And then God provided the most basic level of sustenance. As the angelic messenger gently woke Elijah and says, hey, get up and eat. He needs some food. And it wasn't a huge feast. It wasn't the Passover meal. It was just in front of Elijah was a simple cake of bread to fill his gut and a jar of water to quench his thirst. That was it. God, in his grace, wanted to meet Elijah, the prophet, in his personal dark night of the soul. God wanted to take the conversation of Elijah's life deeper into yet unexplored places that crisis always brings out of us. By the way, that's probably what he wants to do in all of our lives right now. God wanted to have that conversation. And I really encourage you to come back next week when Pastor Tara is going to preach on that significant conversation and even the next week when I preach on the other part of that conversation. But that's not what's happening right now. God met Elijah's humanity first. He needed some sleep. Do you need some sleep? I need some sleep. Me and John. 
<laughs> We're like nap time this afternoon. Do you need some time, some food, some space? He needed all those things before it was time for a deeper conversation. And so after Elijah drifted off to sleep from meal number one, the angel came back a second time and gently woke him up for another little simple meal to nourish his very spent body. And nourished by God's tender mercy of cakes of bread and a jar of water, Elijah gets up and he starts to travel again. It looks like he's running for another 40 days and 40 nights where he ends up, it's a long way, 335 miles from where he originally started up at Mount Carmel. He runs 335 miles to a place called in the text Mount Horeb. So why did Elijah keep running? Was he running because he was still really afraid? He was trying to get more distance from the threat to his life by Queen Jezebel? Was that what was going on? And I'll tell you, for most of my life, even from when I was a kid, I heard this story. I thought, well, that's what he's doing. He's just trying to get a lot of distance between a threat to his life. Or is something else happening here? I now think that nourished by God's simple provision of these small tender mercies, cakes of bread, jar of water, that Elijah was no longer running from something. That's not what's happening anymore. Elijah's now running to something. To something. The question is, well, what is he running to? That's a long distance to run to something. Well, the text tells us this. It says something really interesting. It says, Elijah ran to Mount Horeb. And did you see it in your Bible? It says, quote, the mountain of God, unquote. You know what that is? That's code language for the same mountain a lot of us know in Exodus called Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai is the same thing. It's the mountain of God. It's the same place. It's the place where God met Moses, one of the other top two great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, where God, and Mo- God met with Moses to make Israel into a brand new nation, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and all the covenants that went with it to make them, these people coming out of slavery, becoming a new nation. Elijah was running to the place he remembered God originally met his people and made his people a new nation with a mission to bless the entire world. And in that space, the Hebrew text reads, our text reads, if you look at it, it says, and then he arrived at a cave and he fell asleep. That's not how it reads actually in the original language. It actually reads, and he came to the cave and fell asleep. The cave. The cave? What? What are you talking about? In Exodus chapter 33, while God was making a covenant with Israel to become a new nation with, through Moses, <laughs> this shows Moses, you know, I don't know, he, pride, I don't know what it was, but he got pretty excited. He goes, God, this is great. We're having this conversation. I want to see your glory. Can I, can I see you in all of your glory? And God, being tender as he is, he says, but that'll kill you. <laughs> Literally, that's what he said. You see my glory, it'll kill you. It'll blow your circuits and you'll just fry. But what, here's what I'll do. Here's what we can do. What I will do is I'm going to pass by and I will hide you in the cleft, cleft or cave of the rock. And I'll let my glory pass by. And then you can see the backside of my glory as it passes by. You can read about it. It's in Exodus 33. That's the cave Elijah ran to. 
In fact, I'll show you some pictures. These are some, this, these, I, I'm going to go with theoretically this could be true. We'll see. But archaeologists think this might be, it could be possibly the cave. This is Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There's another photo of it. You can kind of see it from a distance with it circled. That that could be where Moses was. That could be where Elijah ran. And again, you always have to take these things with a little bit of, hmm, but it could be. Renewed enough by God's simple provision, Elijah wasn't running in fear, I don't think, anymore. Or wasn't running from his situation. I think Elijah was running to a familiar place where he knew God had once appeared to Israel with a hope that God was going to somehow show up for him again. So here's what I'm trying to explain about those times when it feels like God's gone silent and gone dark. And that's this. Somehow, God's providing something that provides some way forward. As silent as he's been, as dark as he went, as disconnected as he feels, somehow he's providing something that provides some way forward. And we see it with Elijah. And while it's all, it's true, we all, we all experience dark nights of the soul. And I'm sorry if that kind of makes you nervous, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, let's normalize that. We experience that. Where God isn't acting in the way that we want or we need him to act. But at the same time, it's also true that even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is present. And he's somehow providing something to us. And it probably will look a lot like how God met with Elijah. He will send some messenger in our life. He will send. It may not be as much as you desperately need at that time. I will give you that. I've, I've lived through that. But he, he will somehow send some warm, personal presence that's available to you. It could be an angel. An angel could actually minister to your needs. And I know that sounds really trippy, but, and I love it when the Bible does this sometimes, where it just says something and you're just like, what? what? But in, in Hebrews 13 too, the, the preacher who's preaching in Hebrews 13 too says, hey, make sure that you show hospitality to all of God's people. And by the way, some of you, when you've been hospitable, have been entertaining angels. And then that's all they say. <laughs> like, what, what? Explain that more. They don't. But it's possible that it could be an angel that comes along in your life and only in heaven will you find out that was an angel. That was an angel. It could be. More often, it will be God providing fellow believers who provide to you soothing and they provide aid or they provide you a Kleenex and they sit with you while you cry. Other times, it may not be believers at all. It could just be any other any human being who just comes along and they see you today and they help you somehow and they show you some kind of tender kindness. God will send some kind of messenger. God will provide some tender mercy. Nourishment and provision of need. That good night of sleep, even if Advil PM helped. (laughs) Hot coffee. A really good meal. Somebody smiled. A walk to the lighthouse in the harbor. A walk on a trail, your favorite trail. The songs of the birds still singing under God's care while you're going through it. 
the tender mercies that God provides to nourish you and help you keep moving forward or dragging forward, whatever it is. And also some sacred space. You know those verses that you underlined long ago in your Bible? That sacred space when you're like, those words are leaping off the page as if they're God's gift to me. The um, quotes that opened up new horizons of your faith, maybe it's still sitting on your fridge. Maybe it's sitting over your laptop or your desk area, or maybe you're one of those weird people who have do prayer journals, like me, and it's somewhere buried inside of that journal. Those truths that God downloaded on you in the sunshine of new days in your life, they haven't changed, your situation has, but those truths that he downloaded then, that place in your life, the cabin, you know, you know which one I'm talking about, that cabin, the lake, the beach, for me, there's a special waterfall in Santa Cruz County. Church, believe it or not. Where God once met you in a powerful way, we can make our way back to these places, as Elijah did, and wait in expectation of God. Many things can be equally true at the same time. It can be true. And I think it is for most of us that you can be spent and frayed as I think we all are feeling at this season of Lent 2022 to be just completely spent. So that can be true. It can also be true that we feel this feeling of it just feels like God isn't engaged with me anymore at the moment that I most need him to be engaged and helping me. And it can also additionally be true that if we're watching we'll see the faintest traces that God's still present. He's still present in the dark night of the soul. Now, I think you have a sense of what this may mean, but, you know, you've probably heard the fable. You've probably all heard it. You know, the fable of the man who's trying to escape rising floodwaters by climbing up on top of his roof. And he's trying to escape the rising floodwaters, and he gets on top of his roof, and the waters are coming up, and he finally goes, all right, I'm I'm not a praying man, but I'll call out to God. God, save me from the floodwaters. And as the story goes, along comes a boat with a driver and says, would you like to get off of that roof and let me give you a ride? He says, no, thanks. I'm waiting for God to rescue me from the floodwaters. Boat goes around, and then comes a helicopter dropping down a rope ladder and says to this man, would you like a ride out of here? No, thanks. I'm waiting for God to rescue me from these floodwaters. You've heard it all, but it's the classic picture of how we can have such ridiculously clear assumptions about what God should provide that we become blind to what God is providing to us. And here's when we do this. We do this when the narrative of our preferred rescue by God drowns out God's actual rescue plan. Our narrative drowns out God's real rescue plan that's happening right in front of our noses. We do this when the narrative of God's failings towards us, you know, oh, he's just not coming through. He's just not coming through. It just goes round and round in our brains. That begins to drown out God's actual involvement with us. The little bread cakes he put in front of us and the jar of water. And the messenger. We do this when God's way forward for us 
isn't our preferred way forward. And I'll tell you, the honest one is like the analogy of the fence. Our preferred way as Christians is take me around it, take me over it, take me under it. Please don't take me through it. And when God says, no, we're going through this, we're like, no, 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 no. We do this when God wants to change us while also intervening in our situation. But we only want God to change our situation and to plead butt out of trying to change me. All of these things leaving us non-receptive to what God is giving us and leaving us blind to how God is present with us. Somehow, when God goes dark, God's still providing something that provides us some way forward. And so what that means for us is to be a people who look for and receive what God is providing when we're so bent over by life. I think Elijah sets us a really good example here in the dark night of his own soul. You look at him as the prophet, and he saw and he received the messenger that God sent to him. He saw and he consumed the very simple, very simple sustenance that God provided to him. He invested a little bit of energy, more than a little bit, moving towards a sacred space that he knew that had been a place that God had met his people before. He moved his body in that direction. So let's take a moment to assess how is God present for you and for me. For one, where are the messengers God has sent to you right now? Just take a minute and think about that. And I'm not saying, they're not, they're not making everything better, but just where are the messengers? Can you see them and, and thank God for them? I, I want to say to you, open your arms and receive their hugs. Open your ears and hear their encouragement. Open your hands and receive that Kleenex they put in your hand. And through them, see your God has not completely abandoned you. The whole situation has not been all made better and completely resolved and you've experienced full consolation. That is given. But receive that God has not completely abandoned me through this. What are the tender mercies that God's providing to you right now? See that smile, that meal, that hot cup of chai, that workout when your children actually behave themselves long enough for you get a workout in, that offer from the elders of Faith Community Church for the members that we will give you $400. Who gives you $400 to go start, have a chat with a therapist as God's gift to you in this time and to say, thank you, God, I see that. Consume these things heartily and with gratitude, recognizing these are the evidences that your God has not completely abandoned you. And then where did God once meet you and reveal himself to you in a significant way? Where do you need to go back to? Crack that Bible. Crack it. Go back to that Bible. I, may, I know maybe we're in that transitional zone in our, and we're using our phones more often and maybe that's where your underlines are. I don't, where, wherever it is, 
where in your Bible, those words were like God dialed them in right for your soul. And you're like, those words leapt off the page for me once upon a time. Go back to those words. Open that journal. If you're one of those people like me and you journal, go to that cabin. Go to that cabin. Don't go to church on that Sunday. Go to that cabin. I'll talk about church in a second. Hike that trail. Sit your butt in the presence of God's people in worship a little more often than you have a habit of doing. Be in the presence of God's people as they worship. And even if you got nothing, but if you know that God has met you in that place, get your butt in that place. Move your body toward that sacred space of your past. Open yourself to the biblical promise that comes from Jesus' own half-brother, James. James wrote it in James chapter 4, verse 8. Open yourself up to this promise that says, draw near to God and he will somehow, he'll find a way to draw near to you. I'm going to invite Jonathan and Todd to come on back up and... <coughs> As they get set to lead us in a really good extended time of worship musically, let me just sort of share this picture with you. Um, well, first of all, the picture has to start with, it's got to include admitting that I do not like dark nights of the soul. Every one of them in my life, they suck. So that's part of the picture. The other part of the picture, but, but right there with it, is also this part, is that every dark night of the soul I've experienced in my life, so far, because I haven't lived all my life yet, but so far, it has always, always brought me into deeper conversations with God that have deepened my experience of God's limitless grace for me, every one of them, and have revealed the most memorable realities about God that have helped me to love and to trust him more than I did before I entered the dark night of the soul. That's just happened for me every time I've had dark nights of the soul. And what's interesting is that picture that I paint for you of my own life is what I find is quite consistent with church saints and the stories of the saints throughout all of church history for 2,000 years. It's just this consistent picture. So what I'm trying to describe to you is this picture where dark nights are hard. And at the same time, dark nights can be richly fruitful. And I want your dark night and my dark night, our shared one, the season we've been through, to be richly fruitful. And I really believe it can be if we're on the lookout for God. Everyone comes unraveled. Everyone. And even great saints like Mother Teresa and Elijah can feel darkness and God's silence. Yet even in the dark night of the soul, somehow our God is providing some way forward. So let's be that people who look for and receive what God is providing to us. Let's pray. God, uh, is it okay for us as a people to admit to you that we don't like dark nights? We don't. It's not fun. We would rather avoid them. It's difficult. It's hard. But Lord, thank you for the fact that as normal as this is in a broken world, that we're going to go through some difficult times, hard times, and times when 
When we were young in our faith and you were training us to trust you, we prayed a prayer and bang, we got a parking space. And as we grow older in our faith, sometimes the maturity level changes and sometimes we do enter into dark nights. We thank you that you're tender. We thank you that you're kind. We thank you that you're sovereign and trying to make us into a people that can enjoy your presence forever. And, a day's, and we trust you knowing that a day's going to come. There will be no more dark nights, ever. Because a new creation is coming where there will be no more death or mourning or crying and pain. Because this old order will have come to pass. We love you. Thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.